Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the new breed tech platform used by 15,000 recruiters worldwide. Vincere is the secret weapon for progressive recruitment firms. It provides recruiters with everything they need to scale from CRM slash ATS through to online timesheets, websites and analytics. A true all-in-one growth platform built by recruiters for recruiters. Learn more about Vinny's story on my exclusive interview with their founder on episode 43 of this podcast. If you're looking for a new recruitment CRM to accelerate growth, visit vincere.io slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Meet Matthew Gollop, MD for Connected Group, based in Hong Kong, that believes giving back to others is non-negotiable. Originally from Canterbury in Kent, UK, Matthew spent four years with Hayes, placing temps in Romford to spend in the next 20 years in Hong Kong leading Connected Group. Matthew will share his experience of building a value-based culture that places candid, creative and connected as key core values that drive decisions, boost employee recruitment and retention. Since 2018, Connected group have been supporting a social impact initiative called Recruit for Good that is a non-for-profit initiative that aims to provide a job board and career portal at zero cost to the charitable sector. The initiative aims to connect talent with great causes in need of permanent staff, board and advisory professional and strategic volunteers. Find out more what Matthew has to say about the optimum size for scaling a business, creating a sustainable culture and how servant leadership is his go-to style of leading. This is what is in store for you today. So we came up with um, three values, which is candid, um, which we took straight from the, the Jack Welsh playbook, um, you know, trying to drive this really sort of open, direct, honest um, style of communication and um, which can be challenging in Asian cultures where people don't necessarily want to uh, or it's not natural for them to speak up to their to their boss um, and um, we found that once you establish the trust it became actually a very powerful uh, mechanism within our business to, to drive culture. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm really excited to have you on the show, Matthew. How are you on a on a yeah. on a Monday morning? How are you feeling? Um, good, thanks, Andrew. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're very welcome. So let's just get to it. You're British. Um, I don't think I know when we first spoke. I didn't even ask you where you were from in England. So where are you? I'm from. from yeah, I'm from Canterbury in uh, in Kent originally. Oh, so um, you're a, you're a Kent person like me. Canterbury oh, really? is always the posh place. I'm from Chatham, Medway Towns, which is the one that you drive through. You definitely don't stop, whereas Canterbury, obviously, you stop and stay because that's actually quite nice, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a pretty place. Yeah. yeah, it's really nice. So you graduated in 97 in business studies and you joined Hayes for four years before moving to Hong Kong to work for Connected Group. So, um, and you've been with Connected Group for over 20 years because I know when I first looked at your profile, I think I, when we spoke, I thought it was a couple of years until I realised <laughs> that, I mean, I can't count anyway. So it really kind of reinforced that when I, when I got it wrong that it was 20 years. So tell me more about your journey from those early days in Hong Kong to now the MD of the business. Uh, yes, well, the early days were certainly... Um, uh, certainly interesting. So I arrived in Hong Kong at the beginning of 2001. Okay. And okay. Um, that was off the back of the business having um, developed as a, an IT specialist recruitment business focused on investment banking. The founder was another British guy. He came from investment banking technology, started a business that had a great reputation, hired me to grow everything else. He didn't really understand so much about recruitment, um, but um, you know they wanted to grow the business. But by the, I was hired at the end of 2000, arrived at the beginning of 2001, and in between the dot-com bubble had burst. But nobody really realized that um, Asia was still sort of a bit of a zombie um, and um, was, was plowing forwards. But January, great month. I arrived at the beginning of February, all the billing dropped out. Um, and the rest of that year was just a, a, a bit of a struggle, to be honest. And um, I hired a team and, you know, we sort of grew the business. They were trying to open in Japan. I went home at, at Christmas after a year, um, and when I came back, the, the founder told me that he was closing the business because he uh, financially couldn't couldn't do anything oh with it. Oh gosh! Um, wow! Wow! Couldn't sell it in the middle of all of that uh, that was going so on. So, what was so, going through your mind at that stage? Then, did you sort of think, "Well, God, is that it for me?" Or what, what was going on for you then? 
Yeah, I was a bit, I was a bit lost, you know, put, put a lot of work in, in that, you know, it felt like a lot of hard work and it yeah. felt like a, a big transformation as well to, to, to come uh, to, to another country. So I was a bit sort of lost. Um, one of the other uh, team in, in Connected Group took me to one side. He, he had a few years on me um, and had done some stuff outside of recruitment. And he said, um, you know, I, I believe that there's still a, a successful business here, um, but I believe that you're you know, potentially the person to take it forward. I think the people will follow you. And him and I, his name's Lachlan Sloan, him and I got together and we put together a, um, an acquisition plan, basically. I mean, in short, we acquired the business on the promise of repaying uh, the original shareholders uh, a, a sum of money if we we were successful in in helping the business survive. Gosh, um, that was, was a real leap of faith, then, wasn't it? I wonder what Lachlan saw at that st- at that point. In you know, I know you said he had a little bit more years on you, so he must have had to really sort of have a real leap of faith to get you on board for that, because that must have been quite nerve wracking. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, I think the point at that point in time, you know, if I look back, I had no, I wasn't married, I had no kids, mm. um, and nothing to lose, right? So, yeah. act- actually, you're you're much braver in the decisions you make, and uh, I looked at it as probably the only way I could keep my job in Hong Kong um, at that at that point. Um, uh, you know, it, it could keep the business rolling forward. So, so you wanted to um, stay then. For you, it was there was a commitment to Hong Kong that you didn't you didn't want to necessarily go back and just stay back in the UK and do recruitment. No, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm quite competitive. Um, I think is is the sort of the root cause of um, of that. I like to succeed at, at what I do. So I hadn't succeeded yet. You know, it, it had all been, you know, it all felt like a failure at that point because literally from arrival to um, to the end of that year, it had been uh, it had been downhill. So um, yeah, absolutely, it was sort of you know how do we get past this moment and how do we move forward I had no idea what that looked like but it was it was all survival mode at that point I can imagine and I remember those times as well so with Lachlan is he still a a founding partner or how was that no no he um so um uh if you fast forward um uh, a couple of years so basically we went through um uh 9-11 obviously um Mm -hmm. happened towards the end of that year and then we moved into um SARS came afterwards for Asia really it was uh, was a big impact so yeah yeah, so we had sort of two, you know, two and a half years really of, of recessionary times. Um, and in the middle of that, we were approached by another recruitment um, agency, which was Wall Street Associates. Um, and um, Andrew Chung, who was the owner of that business, he suggested maybe we merge the companies. Um, we were open to the discussion. Um, we came up with a deal where Lachlan actually moved over there to run their business. I mean, he was, you know, he was more experienced. It was a bigger business. It made sense. And then we could get a sense of what those synergies were. Um, shrewd move by Andrew at that time, because actually what he was really looking for was a GM to run his business. Um, and um, when we got to sort of the, the deal time, um, he, he realized that he had what he needed in place and could probably structure the right deal for Lachlan to stay, which, which is what happened. I mean, it was amicable um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we kept in touch. So we, oh, so, we it's diverged. Not connect- so you're not connected in any way to Wall Street Associates now? No, no. no. So, well, Yes, no. Um, we we diverged. Uh, Wall Street ultimately became um, uh, was acquired by Talent Two in in Hong Kong. Yes, okay. I thought um, I, I recognised the Wall Street. Yeah, okay. So that got right. Okay. Um, and they had uh, they had a separate business in Japan, which would which had spun off separately. Um, and then um, so Connected Group went went its own way. Um, but come the financial crisis in two thousand and eight, um, Andrew and Lachlan had established a, an investment platform for recruitment businesses, having already exited uh, Wall Street. And um, we uh, uh, we reconnected at that point. I mean, Connected Group was um, you know needed needed an investment uh, come two thousand and eight. I mean, there was quite a journey in between, um, but that's how I ended up back again working with uh, Lachlan and uh, Andrew. So Andrew's still uh, investor in the business. Um, Lachlan actually sold out his piece and left uh, some it. time ago back to Okay, the okay, that makes sense. Right, I was trying to get my head around that. So so in terms of kind of in those early days and when you were starting, what was the area of specialisation? Because I know you said that obviously, well, obviously with SARS and, you know, the whole global financial crisis, what were the areas of specialisation? How has that changed over the last 20 years for you? Uh, well, I mean, quite significantly. I mean, when I joined, it was well known as a IT uh, investment banking IT recruitment business and that was back in the days when there was probably three of those and now there's probably 33 of those um, <laughs> yeah. and um, uh, we we diversified because my background wasn't technology so I had people that did technology and I kind of built everything else. What was um, your background what were you doing at Hayes then in the UK? What was your uh, finance and, yeah finance and accountancy so oh, okay. I did uh, okay. I did temps uh, up to seven pounds an hour in Romford was my was my <laughs> first desk 
Um, and then that, oh, what fond me, memories me, you have! I'm sure. Yeah, which taught me almost everything <laughs> I needed to know. I think. Um, and then um, I did uh, commerce um, perm, and then I did um, public practice. Was the last right. uh, desk right. that I ran. So um, for the for the areas of specialisation in those days, was it was it generally your just the IT and the investment banking? Then did it start morph, morphing out into other divi- in terms of other divisions? Yeah, I think it was just we just became very opportunistic. I mean, in 2003, in the middle of SARS, I filled um, a, a head of um, front office fixed role. And then, um, you know, the next week I filled a, um, a, an interior design role um, in, a, in a bank because I would I would fill whatever Random. anybody would give yeah. me at that point yeah. um, because it was uh, it was tough. Um, so that's and, interesting uh, that you say that, because I think. We all we all know that going, being a specialist is a great thing because obviously we dig deeper. But actually, in times such as these, actually, in terms of it, I know the market's sort of turning a little bit. How do you feel about that kind of generalist approach at grabbing everything? I mean, what I mean, I certainly have my own experiences of that. So share with me whether you whether you firmly believe that's a good idea or whether you think nope, just stick to specialization. Um, I, I think that the, the, you can only scale a business based off of specializations. Mm-hmm. But um, what I found about my own background um, I sort of grew up in a family business you know I did a a business studies degree sort of a bit more general view of um, um, uh, of how organizations run so I was able to kind of switch my skills a little bit and that's proved very useful because it means that I can step into a new space I can I can start it moving Um, I can get to know it quite quickly and then I can bring somebody else in to to, to run that space so actually as a leader being a generalist Mm. has been um, has been a real advantage, I think, to, to scale the the, the business um, interesting. Uh, yeah. horizontally. Um, yeah. But I think to grow a business, you do need people that are then specialists within each of yeah. those those spaces. But it's There's so no it's point. sort of understanding those opportunities and what could be there, but having you don't have to necessarily be a complete specialist in it, but know where to go with it. Yeah, I think I think there's a I think for consultants kind of making their way or at least surviving in these times it is a good idea just to grab anything um just so that you can cut your teeth on certain roles but also just be showing the client you're willing to do the interior yeah. design role and say I'll do anything because then then yeah. it's then they will give you something a little bit more sexy um so I'm I'm keen to know um how do you or other leaders in your business communicate your core values and what are your core values because I always find it with specifically with recruitment firms, they have them on the wall. They sort of, you know, but they don't necessarily always really um, show how to demonstrate those values. You know, what are the consequences of them if they're not, you know, adhered to? How do you live and breathe them? I'm, I'm kind of keen to know from your side. Yeah, that was a journey that started uh, probably about 15 years ago when we really started talking about, um, you know, having values in a business and, and, and what does that mean? And uh, our leadership team at the time, I mean, we had offices in multiple locations at that point. So just as a, as a quick step back, once I took over the business and then SARS cleared, we grew and we opened in Singapore, Dubai. We had a joint venture in, in China. So we had sort of five offices and 85 people at the peak before the, the financial crisis hit. So it became important to try and create that that framework um which was a common language between the between the offices yeah um and um whilst, whilst you know as time has gone on i don't necessarily um agree with uh with everything that uh, uh everything that he did um jack welsh was was quite a a guiding light yeah. for us so, yeah I'm, uh, a big, I'm actually a big fan of jack well on certain areas i i, I agree not on everything yeah, but yeah, yeah. and at, at the time you know it was it was sort of groundbreaking stuff yes, and we read was. we yes, all read we all read winning um, and um, yeah. saw this, you know, sort of this real focus on a small number of values that are um, a mantra for for a business. Um, yeah. And and that things like professionalism and integrity, um, they shouldn't be values because they should be um, the rules of of playing the game. Sort of principles, be isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like guiding principles for a business. Yeah. They should be they should be there, right? You can't teach people integrity, so um, yeah. uh, they they should be an existing uh, platform and then build on top of that. So we came up with um, three values, which is candid, um, which we took straight from the the Jack Welsh playbook. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to drive this really sort of open, direct, honest um, style of communication, and um, which can be challenging in Asian cultures where people don't necessarily want to. Uh, or it's not natural for them to speak up to their uh, to their to their um, to their boss, um, and um, we found that. But once you establish the trust, it became actually a very powerful uh, mechanism within our business. So, to, could to you have culture. quite challenging conversations? Then people were willing to kind of. And so, was that quite a gradual process that you put people in positions to be able to do that to 
encourage yeah. or give them the space to be able to be candid. I think so. And so people will test it out. You know, they will they will try saying right. something that they think and see what happens. Right. And if you listen and embrace and they see change as a result or at least they get an explanation as to, well, actually, this is this is why this is the way it is. Um, then they'll try something else next time. And, and uh, then I think as more people come into the business that you have that culture of um, people um you know, when someone, um, for example, someone will, will, will gripe about something or complain about something, the response they'll get to, from the people around them is, oh, you should talk to Matt about that, or you should talk to your manager, or, or you yeah. should talk to your HR I'm director. used to that, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that just gets rid of that kind of, uh, that toxicity quite uh, quite quickly. Um, so Candid was our first one. Um, creative was our, was our second one, um, which was just about trying to... Um, help people think differently about the way that we do things. And again, um, trying to come up with ideas as to one, how to service our clients differently based on their needs rather than what whatever our model was um, and how we did things internally. So, you know, how do we change um, the, the way that we operate um, in terms of systems, processes? You know, let's try new things, see if they work and, uh, and, and repeat. Um, I, and, love um, and the, I love that. And the last one was connected. Um, so, you know, a nice marketing tagline as well, candid, creative, connected. But yes, um, connected was a was about um, very good. Was about being connected internally because um, it was we deemed it as such a failure generally in the industry that uh, particularly bigger firms, for example, would go out and sell their twenty plus offices across the region, um, but the client didn't see that on the on the back end, no one was actually talking to each other across those yeah, offices. Yeah, just a feature, or, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there wasn't really a sharing of intelligence or candidate information. In fact, almost the opposite was that I don't want to go to my Singapore office and say you can supply candidates for this role, because if they did, then I wouldn't get any any commission. And how did um, you go about trying to create that connectedness then? We um, uh, I think there's a two things There's a financial platform, there's a cultural platform. So culturally, um, we try to build a business where when we're hiring people, we're focused on those people who um, have that mindset, which is that they want to be part of something bigger, they want to share, they had those frustrations at other firms, and wanted to be somewhere where that wasn't the case. Um, and, and the technology that, that comes with that to share in the database across the offices, which is something we did quite early. Right. Um, and then um, secondary to that was the financial motivation. And what we realized was, the financial motivation doesn't have to be large. It's more a recognition. So we have a small 10% fee split for referring um, business to, across teams and across offices. But there was still enough left to motivate the recruiters to fill the job. Because we looked at other models, we talked to other recruiters, and we found that when the business development split was too high, the recruiter lacked the motivation to execute. Mm. They may as well go and find their own yeah. um, their own role and do it at, at 100%. Yeah. Um, and whilst 10% may not reflect the value of business development um, in terms of there's a smaller number of people that have that skill, um, that it doesn't work if you start to, to, to increase. Yeah, the but you're really encouraging it, aren't you? Encouraging positive behaviours and it does fall in with the values. And that's really smart. And how do you then ensure that those are kept alive? Is it, is it in appraisals, monthly wraps? Like, how do you keep that going? And that, you know, yeah. Uh, yes, is the answer to all of those things. I think that um, uh, come back to, to the, the Jack Welsh um, kind of philosophy, which was it's a mantra and you need to say it at every given opportunity. Right. Um, and um, I think that um, especially as business owners, you sort of you you build a business, you you gain momentum and then you think, ah, I've done it. Right. And then new people will come in and then gradually you realize over time that your your culture is dissipating. And that's because you're not repeating the same things over and over. Um, so at every chance to stand up, I talk about values. Um, I do it every training session. Um, we um, we have it on everything in, in the office. It, it is up on the walls, but it's something that we we refer to whenever we can. And then we um, on our um, we, we announce every placement and every win that goes through the business on our messaging board. And then we mention, oh, you know, good connected behavior because it was a referral from, from oh, someone really else. Oh, nice, really nice. Really um, nice. Okay. So it, is, it, it's, it sounds as though it's really enforced throughout the whole of the business. And yeah, I just want absolutely. to go back one little step because I'm not sure I'm completely clear. So I know you said you had um, up in your at your peak 85 people. How many of is it just Hong Kong office now? 
that you've got? So, yeah, Talk me through. We that. have um, just Hong Kong physically. Um, we do oh. have our um, our Woofie still in in China. So we we went from a joint venture there to a wholly owned foreign enterprise. Um, so now we are just under fifty people in Hong Kong. So post financial crisis, although it didn't happen all at once, but basically the strategy ended up being um, that we refocus on Hong Kong, build a regional business from there. Um, more business owners I talk to, the, the more common um, I, I hear this issue. And, and I had advice of, of not growing the business in too many locations earlier on, which I didn't take because my, my ego was too big. Interesting. Um, but uh, that it's hard as a privately owned business to remain profitable consistently across multiple locations. Um, and um, we would always be you know, profitable in Hong Kong, but then we would perhaps make money here, lose money here. Yeah. Um, and, and really the pie and then wasn't... And you're not wasn't, there wasn't... either, which makes it even harder. And do you... So, yeah. So I suppose it creates quite a lot of opportunities for the consultants because they're taking regional mandates. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I mean, we're still sort of 85% Hong Kong in terms of the roles that get executed. Uh, we do some in China, we do more in Southeast Asia, um, and uh, we've done some international mandates as well. And then we do a lot of global search, bringing people to Hong Kong. You know, that's right. Sort of okay. A, and what are your specializations now then? What does that look like? It's hard to say now because uh, it's all it's it without sounding like a generalist. Um, we have teams that cover um, the industry verticals would be manufacturing, sourcing, supply chain is a big uh, pillar in Hong Kong. Financial services still back to, through to front office, um, technology, retail, and consumer. Um, so I guess they're sort of the big um, you know the big industry spaces, and then we have functional specialists in um, finance and accounting, human resources, um, legal, property, real estate. Right, um, right. The, goal, the goal is to go to a client and say, yes, you know, yes, we can service you, sales, marketing, communications, um, and, um, and build an account management model for those larger clients or clients that, that are rapidly growing, which we, we do see a lot in. in and, what, and out of all of those kind of specializations, which areas are you seeing um, a lot more prosperous in Hong Kong right now? Um, I think the supply chain space is still, you know, very busy. Um, and whilst the the soft line side, which is the you know fashion apparel, um, has been more impacted because people don't buy um, uh, clothing online to the same same degree, we saw the hard lines business. So everything else, electrical, electronics, you know, garden furniture, DIY, we saw that absolutely <laughs> yeah. um, take fridges. off. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Um, and so yeah, that was that was crazy. I mean, because we we just saw this massive shift and and more focus on e-commerce. Uh, so that's been busy. Um, we do see the more the sort of fintech space, um, uh, you know, quite a, a, a growth area. In and how's Hong that Kong. been hiring? I mean, obviously, is it, as those areas come up, also looking at do you have specialists to go into that? Did you have to move people over, upskill them with training, bring other people in? Like what, what did you do within that kind of because I know the fintech is, is, is also popular right now. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one because actually what you end up with is sort of this grey area between technology and and, and finance. Yes. Um, I think what's been useful is that because we do have this culture of sharing is very team oriented. Is actually the technology and you know, banking operations and banking front office those teams you know, will work together and and identify who's going to be the best team. To, to fill this base on where do the candidates come from right, right. rather yeah. than how you, yeah. how you define the role. Yeah, we used to do that role Walters a lot. That's some, so much nicer way of doing it because the client just gets the, the, the proper service and you can source the right candidate, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then and I've stepped in. I still recruit and I tend, I think I have it on my LinkedIn as you know, unconventional searches. So when I see areas which are um, skill thin um, where recruiters' time may not actually be best spent because they've got existing business that they need to deliver on um i step in i have a, a senior researcher that works with me and we dig in start to try and understand the industry you know sort of pull a talent pool together execute That's a few searches and you must do, how do you feel about when you do that then because i mean you're managing a, a fairly big office let's be honest that's a big office um so how are you finding the time to do that or is it kind of a non-negotiable for you in terms of your passions like talk me through that yeah, I don't know. I mean, I do question myself on a regular basis. Um, <laughs> why did I take that to, on? <laughs> why, why, yeah, why did I did I get involved with this? And it ends up being quite a wide range. But also, I think that you know, my I have a core passion about recruitment, and mm. um, it it helps maintain that passion because a lot of the other stuff that you do is. Um, it can be operational or can be reactive and dealing with challenges um, on, a, on a day-to-day basis. Whereas recruitment is kind of that um, opportunity for you to exert some control over, <laughs> over a process as much yeah, as you can in, 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 in recruitment. Um, and it also keeps me in touch with the market. It enables me to talk meaningfully about trends and, and, and what's happening. So 
I think it's all been positive, um, but increasingly I have to be very careful about how much time do I spend on uh, on those things. Um, well, it's, also so, le- it's also a great opportunity for others around you if you've got new newbies coming in to kind of it's a lun- it's a it's a learning opportunity for them as well if you can get them to kind of shadow on a few things. I think I think a lot of new business owners or managers do find it quite hard if their role ends up being quite internally focused. So I think it is it's great to see that you're balancing that so you keep that passion going, but also you're able to relate to the consultants on what challenges they're probably facing with on the ground with, you know, candidate motivations and, you know, at the time. So that's really interesting. Um, where are the biggest sort of challenges right now in terms of areas that that you're concerned of? Is, is it just this kind of the, you know, the real estate, sorry, not the real estate, the um, uh, retail area that's got kind of going down? What other areas do you see that is I mean, I know that um, commerce, finance and accounting is an area that kind of goes up and down for, but when, it, you know, is that still the case or is there other areas that you're seeing that a few concerns? Um, we, we see it as, as fairly consistent across the board, actually. Um, our, you know, our business um, rebounded, um, you know, quite well after the sort of first quarter. April was really the crunch time last year. And um, we... Um, we stood up in in February and said, okay, we won't make any redundancies based on the impact of COVID. What we'll do is we'll reduce salaries to the point where we can keep everybody, but we'll look at your inputs rather than, so we've always been an output driven business because we don't want the um, uh, too much sort of KPI management. Um, but we refocused that a little bit and said, okay, we're now gonna have to look at inputs, but we won't judge yeah. you on the outputs. Right. And so as, as a result of that, and then the government then post that came in with the ESS scheme in Hong Kong, which was basically a headcount, um, uh, you know, a headcount investment. Um, we kept the whole team together um, and we actually grew last year by three people. We went from 41 to 44, I think. So the reason I mentioned that is because it meant that we have quite a broad, strong resource still coming into to this year. Um, and I think that momentum, the market picking up and the fact that we have less competition um, has meant that actually all our desks are quite busy um, yeah because a lot of people shut either the offices down or teams down yeah and yes. I think Michael Page or might have been Robert Waters actually they let go a lot of people on the sales and marketing side I mean it was just a whole wave of people so yeah yeah I think um, I think Robert Waters um, closed and that was not not just a, a, an Asia thing but a um, sort of globally they did that and um, uh, and then restructured how they handle sales and marketing and we saw big firms like that go from you know over 100 people to probably closer to, to our size, um, which obviously took yeah, a lot of recruiters out of the market. Yeah. Um, so I think actually we we don't see anything that's that's really struggling. I mean, legal had big problems last year, but seems to have picked up again this year. Um, Commerce finance has been maybe a bit up and down sort of um, mm. month to month, but quarter to quarter has, has generally averaged out quite well. Um, and retail, yes, I mean, you know, it's obviously been had its um, difficult times, but it's really been sort of recovering since the protests. So we had, you know, the second half of 2019 was really where yeah. where retail really took the biggest hit. Yeah. And then, of course, first quarter of 2020. So since then, there has been opportunities. It's been difficult, but there has been opportunities. And we see some smaller brands, um, you know, maybe coming to Asia and seeing Hong Kong as a starting point. Interesting. I'm just, just talking about in terms of size of headcounts and, um, you know, a lot of recruitment firms go up and down in terms of the headcount. What do you see as the optimum size for success in regards to kind of being able to manage that profitably? You know, when does it start getting to be a bit of a bit of a problem? Yeah, I think um, for, for me, the way that that I look at it is is more about culture than than the financials. Me, and I me, think t- that, me too. Yeah, me too. I think mm. that sort of that sixty. We've, we're moving to a new office um, uh, next week, and uh, that takes us from forty-eight desks to sixty-five. And that's mm. always been my yeah. number. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so talk to me again next year. We'll, we'll yeah. see, uh, <laughs> see how I'm feeling. Um, but I think that that size has always been in my mind is kind of the peak, right? That sort of six mid sixties. Um, I think beyond that, it becomes very difficult to manage culture. Then you have to become more um, KPI driven. Um, you have to make decisions based on numbers quickly rather than looking at each personal situation. Yeah. Um, and um, so I think that that's kind of the... Um, yeah, the, the or strong leaders that can still promote, you know, the the culture. Um, yes. And Because I, I think that's a lot to do with it, isn't it? Um, yes. when, otherwise, you do sort of get cultures within cultures. Um, thanks for that. I'm keen to sort of 
talk about kind of your leadership, seeing you've been in this game for a long time and now managing a, a fairly large business. So after 20 years with the same company, do you set aside specific times to sort of cast vision to your employees and other leaders? Because I always found that I needed a morning just to step back and I would work from home for like two or three hours before kind of virtual was a thing, you know. So I found having that time to really look over the business instead of being constantly firefighting as soon as you step foot in the, in the office. Talk me through whether that, you know, whether that's something that you take some time to do. Coaching provides the space for professionals to take time to hit the pause button, reassess, make decisions, commit to new action and move forward with clarity. To enjoy a 10% discount on our coaching programs, reach out and quote the word talent. The Career Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the new breed tech platform used by 15,000 recruiters worldwide. Vincere is the secret weapon for progressive recruitment firms. It provides recruiters with everything they need to scale from CRM slash ATS through to online timesheets, websites and analytics. A true all-in-one growth platform built by recruiters for recruiters. Learn more about Vinny's story on my exclusive interview with their founder on episode 43 of this podcast. If you're looking for a new recruitment CRM to accelerate growth, visit vincere.io slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Yeah, I think you, you have to. Um, what I find is that it's not, um, it's not, just, I've tried, maybe that's just a, a, a personal style thing, but um, I find it difficult to maintain that consistently so if i set aside x time per week or per month um what i find is that 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 routine gets eroded by um everything else that goes on uh, so i have to be a bit more opportunistic about it so um what i look for is those those lulls right so um okay i've, I've finished a couple of searches we've rolled out this project yeah. um i know business is, is you know is going quite well at the moment um i'm going to book one or two days next week where all i'm going to focus on is um messaging basically so right, um, okay. thinking about where the business is going and and, and how we do that what if there so wasn't have- many lows lows though what if there wasn't those times <laughs> like it went on for six months like is there times where you've dropped the board a little bit on that because you've been too much in the moment yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that we, um, I think I'm, I'm naturally quite a big picture thinker. So I start at the beginning of every year with a, with a plan, um, which I, which I announce um, and, and present to everybody. Um, we have um, regular, so every Friday, there's a stand up meeting in the, in the office. And, and I often, um, you know, sort of have something to say at that. Um, I have my management meetings, obviously, and I meet with all of the non-managers once a month. I break them into three groups now where right. they can ask questions and I can talk about vision for you know where, where the company's going um so i think we have a lot of communication touch points but i think that my shortfalls have been um readdressing direction um in busy times because yes you get busy and then you realize you're three quarters of the way through the year and actually you haven't made progress or as much progress on mm. some of these issues or they're no longer as relevant as they were um six months ago when 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 you set out that that vision so uh yes i think that that's you know uh, a common issue I think of just trying to sort of balance all of the and how do you sort of encourage your managers to be that big picture thinking and be making sure that your and and making sure your messages get filtered obviously in their own words but it is you know that it's not changed in any way then it keeps consistent how is that just from those management meetings or how do you try and encourage that yeah I think the management meetings is a good time to sort of pull everybody's ideas together because you know other people have great ideas uh, to bring to the table um my one-to-one approach is um, uh, very much that they lead the agenda. So when we sit down at a one-to-one, of course, I'm I'm going to ask about you know sort of financial progress and anything um, uh, the the usual stuff. But they drive the biggest agenda at the one-to-one, which is what do they need, what are their challenges, and then I nudge them along on what what does the future look like, what's it going to look like in six months, in twelve months, right, and that's when we, right. we then pull in the cultural issues, which is okay. Well, you know, how does that sit against the, the the values or the mission statement or the purpose of the um of the business because um those things are important and once you start um helping people make decisions against that framework it gives them a framework to make decisions on without you in the future and then it gives them a framework to challenge their subordinates on um uh, the same thing so you know they'll i hear people you know sort of passing on the same thing well what does the mission statement say or you know if you look at the values what what decision would you make based yeah. on the values and that's yeah. really what that framework should be enabling think, people to to make decisions i think that's fantastic i think exactly it isn't 
when people are in a position of making a decision, you have to be able to look at all of the values and, yeah, what is it saying to you? What would you normally do? What have you done in the past? You know, how, you know, do you feel good if you go down that option? How's that, how's that going to feel? What's it going to look like? And what's the impact of that decision? I think that is just, you know, promoting that growth, isn't it, within your team? How do you go about kind of developing team team members? I, I ask this because obviously I do a lot of training with recruitment recruitment managers or emerging ones. And one thing is, God, you know, so much to teach. And you know, how do we get them up to speed? And how can we get them up to speed quickly? Like, what are those steps for you guys? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's always that balance between um, having a structured training program, um, a la mm. you know Hayes and and Michael Page and and the big firms, yeah. um, and um, having something that that is a bit more um, crafted to the to the individual or the space, and I think that's one of the uh, problems with the um, the big structure training program is that it often has gaps for different people depending on style and market um, and, um, and and what they're focused on. So it's a bit of a blend for us. Um, we have a very strong induction. I think that's really important. Um, and they'll spend literally half a day, um, you know, working through one. Wh- where do you find everything in this business? We have an intranet where um, there's a lot of information um, which is well mapped out. So you can go in and find a lot of templates and a lot of guides mm, um, so and. Uh, all of that kind of stuff, which I think is often missed. And we've we've inducted people that have said, oh, I just came from X big listed company and your induction and your system is much better. Um, and, Isn't you know, it's always nice to, did always you have nice to, to did hear. Did you have to switch? Did you have to amend that for when you had to work from home? Like, or did you not have anyone that was on? I know you said you hired three people, so it may not have been a thing. But have you had to relook at the onboarding process now that we're living in a world where you may be onboarding people virtually? We, um, I think we've had the advantage in Hong Kong that um, it's been peaks and troughs, right? So yeah. um, we've not had um, too much of a sustained period where where we've um, had to work from home. So we, when we inducted people, we actually took them into the office, but th- they were the only ones in there. So the, the yeah. HR director would go in, induct yeah. them in the office, show them around, and then show them how to work from home and how our systems work, etc. Um, so um, I think induction is quite difficult online it can be done oh I don't know I don't know I think it's changing I've I've just I'm starting to do some work with a company in the UK recruitment firm and I know I have quite a few requests out here and I just haven't got around to necessarily putting it all together but just doing e-learning onboarding right because if you're thinking before they even join you've got a talent assessment done on them or a disc assessment so before they even join you and if you've got three or four people all joined at the same time they get to talk to each other online on the learning program to say hey we're joining tomorrow you know really excited here's my schedule for the next two weeks and you can access that then when they do join let's just say something happens again where there's another pandemic you are not bound by god what the hell are we going to do now because they can't get to the office or there's a storm in hong kong with they can't physically get there having that option to be because i'm just getting my head around that now is just you know, having all the values on there, having videos from the managers saying this is what our values are about. So you're not having to do the same um, talk or training about values, about your terms and conditions. You've got videos already done or you've got this interaction. So I think there's so much more coming out now as a result of COVID that we're looking at onboarding a lot differently, that it can be interactive. It still has the you getting and doing a one-on-one training, absolutely, but it might be there could be one-on-one, but it also is uh, virtual workshops that with, with a group of people. I just think it's really, I think there's just, I think it's just an exciting time that there are some great yeah. lessons that have come out of that. So other than kind of the onboarding when they, when they come through, you've, do you do more kind of one-on-one on the job training um, with, you know, yourself, do you get involved in doing that or do you sort of assign people within the business? Um, so managers will handle that for their teams, um, okay. but then at the, at the management meeting, um, we might talk about okay, how how are you know the last sort of rough intake of we, we generally don't do batch intakes, but um, the the last batch of juniors that we have in the business, how yeah. are they doing? What do they need? Or maybe not even the juniors, you know, could even be more senior recruiters. But and then we we um, identify issues, and then we try and create a group, and then we'll share that to the office that we're running X training to, right. to fill a gap. Does anybody else want to nominate themselves? Um, and that will be run by sometimes by me on a, on a classroom basis, right? And, and sometimes by one of the other managers. And how do you Otherwise, test the effectiveness of it? Because I think training is the hardest thing to sometimes test. The you know we, we we sort of get that habit of doing the training and we tick it and think it's all kind of fine right but yep. you know what what kind of happens afterwards for you to sort of see how that's embedded that learning's embedded I think it's more um, it's a gap actually for us in terms of um, 
formal measurement. Um, one, one of the, my work placement was at the Royal Mail when I was uh, uh, when I did my degree in their management uh, development office, oh, and right. I I specialised in training, evaluation, did and Kirkpatrick's model oh, and, right. and all that kind of stuff. Right. So. Um, so yes, I do see so you it as, see as a gap. That there's that gap. Yeah, it's I'm, level 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 four measurement is one of the the hardest I, things. Yeah, which I think is, I think it, it is in recruitment particularly because it takes longer for sometimes people to be. I suppose I suppose really simple terms is just a week later jumping in and listening to them do it and just see on a scale of one to five where they're at and what you know it's it's a lot of just it can be quite simply measured as well. You know if yeah. the managers can do that, but yeah, it's a. I think it's quite a tricky one in recruitment um, because there's always so it's more that. anecdotal. I think for us, which is you know had you know feedback from from the managers on ah you know this person came back from that training session and yeah I could see a difference in behaviour. Okay, great, that's a positive. But I think Just that keep we that momentum. Um, mm. We, I mean, we're working much. We've hired a business solutions manager recently. Um, I have a. Um, a Sort of a new um, head of finance coming in um, who um, is very interested in this link between the operational data and the financial data um, and that's really what we want to focus on next which is yeah. um, all of those trends internal external how, how do we use all of that data that we have yeah. to measure these trends and see things early yeah. um, and uh, I think things like um, uh, you know the uh, length to close um, uh, metric very interesting. Um, I love. I mean, I I can't count for shit, but I love data analysis like that. I love those to see, you know, what, yeah. you know how quick someone get up to speed, but also relating that to someone's level of experience or educational or competency yes. levels. I think that's kind of. I think that's quite interesting. Where can you find these these threads yeah. right to help you yeah. break down what what is a um, a complex um, uh, equation really? So I'm, I'm the same as you. Is that I'm no good with the numbers. But I'm good at um, looking at the. I love looking at the numbers the and I can draw conclusions. Yeah. yeah, but it also probably look. It probably shines a bit of a light on the managers in terms of is there certain managers that are just a lot stronger. I always found with the training element, it's always good, isn't it? Getting managers that are good at, uh, that are competent in certain areas to train. But what I found when sometimes I would jump in and randomly to just check those trainings, some of them weren't, weren't as good as you think they were. Because no. I think in recruitment, we have a tendency to kind of, oh, this is how you do it. <laughs> right, we just do this. Right, listen to me. This is how I do it. Because um, yeah. we're very tell mode, right? We haven't got time. We've got an hour. Let's just do it. But obviously, I suppose now that I've come on the other side of the training side and realising everyone is such different learners. Some people love to actually know what they're going to go before they go into the training. Others are more yeah. visual. Some would prefer a bit of a video. Some would like to listen to something. Some would actually practically like to just do a role play and practice what they've learned. Like everyone's different how they learn stuff. So yeah. I think if anyone's listening out there on um, training on how to sort of in, embed the learning, I think it's just being aware of different learning styles for people. Everyone is so different how they absorb information and pick it up. Yep. And it's, I suppose as a manager, just understanding what is it? Are they, um, are they visual? Um, there is a VATK thing. I can't remember from my head now, but um, I will post it on the show notes. Right. Let me go on to teamwork and kind of motivations on your teams. Um, look, it, it, it's kind of a, you know, it, can, it has been a bit of a rough road for Hong Kong over the last couple of years. And I'm so glad to hear that they're coming out of that. That's, that's, that makes me very, very happy. Um, so how, do you, how have you kind of kept the team motivated to keep going when it's been tough times? I think that, the, you know, my origin story, if you like, at Connected Group um, of what we went through um, has been helpful because um, I can talk to people about a journey of um, going through what looked like um, insurmountable kind of odds, really, and uh, all these external factors, um, you know, were the were the um, the issues, and coming out of the other side. Because I think the hardest mm -hmm. thing for people, um, particularly the first time, so it's the, it's I find it's the younger people the first time they go through a big downturn or or you know an issue like COVID, um, is that you cannot envision what it's like to come out of the other side mm. the the underlying feeling is this is it now this is yeah, the new normal no control yeah. yeah yeah how am i how am i going to deal with this so yeah. i think just telling stories of having gone through um that first period having then gone through the financial crisis and that you know we did yes we did have to bring in a new investor and we did restructure the business but we survived and we're here and i know how you feel right now but trust yeah. me is that we do come out the other side and the only thing that's going to define whether you're successful in coming out the other side is your inputs now. So your outputs are um, less of an issue. And as that sounds yeah, counterproductive. Always, yeah, but you can't control that. There might be jobs that go on hold or lengthier right, yeah. recruitment processes. Yeah. 
So we we reinforce that a lot. I spend a lot of time talking to my management team about that and and how to how to cascade that down. And then I spent a lot of time every Friday roundup. Every time I had um, you know it was at the in the in the pantry talking to somebody was saying how are you feeling right, and then get, yeah. getting them to talk about how they feel and then coaching them through that that process. I was think that, that quite was exhausting just... for you? Because to be doing that with a big workforce, do you did you find by Friday evening because you are? And I'm not I'm not saying that in any way that's inauthentic, but it's you're presenting that future that's a vision that you don't know 100%. You're going on track record, but you're getting people to believe in that and giving them that hope. Does it get quite exhausting for you? Um, no. And I, and I, I think I beca- I've become um, sort of a, an expert at, at these kind of times. And actually, I find it much easier during difficult times to manage the business um, because in the good times, I'm always waiting for it to go wrong. But that's, <laughs> that's when I feel tired. Um, it's because I'm always concerned. Oh, this is the good time. When's the bad time going to come? Because I've been right. through a few of these. Yeah, few so of these you are cycles. kind of looking over your shoulder a little bit, but maybe yeah. that's a safety thing. Maybe that is actually a good thing that you are not just, you know, you're aware you're looking both sides. Right? <laughs> I'm not sure. Thing. I'm not sure it's a mentally healthy thing, but um, it's kind of, uh, uh, you know, it's where I ended up. So actually at times I kind of, I, I revel in times of, uh, of, of difficulty because I know how to handle it. I'm, I'm comfortable with that. That's, uh, no, that's I find that really so, interesting. I bet if you did Clifton Strength, you have adaptability, which is that kind of in the moment, you know, quite agile, ready to do it. You don't need, you know, don't, don't, you're quite, um, you're quite calm around that. You can live in the moment. I bet, I bet. I'll put a guess <laughs> on that one. Um, as the business has grown, have you found that it can dampen inspiration? You know, how do you keep this from happening? Because when a, when a business gets so big, it's, it, you know, I know one of your values was creative. How do you actually go about ensuring that there is that kind of creativity, diverse mindset, people sharing those ideas? How, how do you ensure that that, that continues, that grows? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. And it's kind of what I alluded to before when, um, you know, when we, when we talked about sort of the size of a business and where, you know, where I feel comfortable anyway, I don't have sort of um, uh, aspirations to be a hundred person business because I just, I don't, in, I don't enjoy the idea of running a business of that size, mainly because I, I think it's then hard to maintain those, those type of things. Yeah, so hard. I think that um, we, we have quite low attrition and our management team has been pretty stable um, over the, over the years. And I think that helps because once you embed those values at a leadership team level that then get cascaded down consistently when you're not there to, to do it, then that's self-perpetuating. So I think that um, my managers often come to a one-to-one and say, Hey, so-and-so on my team had this great idea. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we've been talking about it. I wonder what you think. And then, you know, you can push that up. Then I can go back to that individual. Hey, that was a great idea. Um, I've put it through to operations. We're going to see what it looks like. Um, so I think that um, it comes down to that, that replication of those values over time that we talked about. If you if you can if you can have that, then um, then it will then it will be self repeating. Yeah, um, it's the types of people you're hiring. Then isn't it all it all stems from the first back, stage. And then back to recruitment at the beginning. Yeah, and you you hire those people that. That, that say to you, you know, why do you want to move? Um, and it's not, well, the commission scheme's rubbish. I, you know, I want to make loads of money. Um, okay, that, that is a motivator, but um, yeah. I it's want people It's kind of a given all... as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, I want those people that say, well, I'm frustrated where I am because I think I can, I have more ideas or, you know, I think we can do things in a different way. And great, yeah. okay, come and give me those ideas yeah. because I see that as a real value to the to the business. Yeah, that's really interesting. How are you guys supporting DNI? What's the makeup of your team? What's that look like? Um, I mean, I think that for us, if, if I was going to aspire to diversity, I'd be trying to hire more old white guys at the moment because, um, uh, I'm, I'm the, I'm the minority in the, in the business. Um, so I think Singapore's going to be like that soon as well. <laughs> yeah. Which is great. I mean, I think that, you know, when I first came to Hong Kong 20 years ago, the, you know, sort of a larger proportion of the top billers in the market were expats. Um, mm. and that has changed. The market has, um, has localized, um, the, yeah, for us, I think the, the big achievement has been that the majority of our leadership team is um, Asian female. Um, and um, uh, congratulations, the, well, you know, which is a reflect is the way it should be because it's a reflection of the market. I think the 65% mm-hmm. of um, people in recruitment industry are female um, in Hong Kong. Um, and um, so therefore that should be reflected at yeah. leadership level. And in a lot of organizations, it's not. And actually a lot of my, um, 
great hires have been those individuals who had kind of reached a point where they knew in, in the international firm that they were in that next level up seemed to be more male dominated or that yeah, there was that, a certain... That, that's, a, that's a worry, isn't it? That's a concern. Yeah. yeah. And that there was a certain culture about it that they didn't feel comfortable yeah. um, being part of, whether that's sort of a drinking culture or... Yeah, very a, much so. Um, it's a big you know, leap a bit of a... to get into that pond in a way and stay in it and actually be happy in it. Oh, I can totally... Yes. totally <laughs> to, be, to be authentic in it, yeah. So, I can totally relate um, to that. And how have you then gone about trying to encourage, has there been different sort of policies or different ways of running as a result of maintain, uh, as a result of retaining those female talents? I don't think so. I mean, I think that the... Um, because the culture and the platform is, you know, it's very open, it's very transparent, all views are... Um, encouraged, welcomed, and equally uh, equally heard, then it just it is what it it's become what it is just as a as a natural extension of that. So yeah. I sometimes struggle to answer some of these questions now that we get from PSLs on you know what's your diversity inclusion policy because yeah. um, well we we haven't really I mean sure we we can put one on the website but um, it's been more about creating a. a you know an environment where where voices are heard and then because of that then everybody is, is but that of, is know, a policy right it, it, it's not always some you know sort of hr right we're going to give people an extra day off just to show that we're you know we're flexible with our workforce it's it's that's kind of understanding what the business needs and what means what makes a difference to them and their day-to-day I think things that are coming up are, you know, giving guys paternity leave not just women right it's also creating just a you know yep. a diverse um, workforce but being more kind of flexible and I think it's, it's quite different in Asia with there are more um, domestic help for women so it's yep. a little bit easier in that respect of being able to have help here than it is say the UK um, sure. but I think yeah I think with the that sort of women in recruitment age group that's one thing that a lot of people a lot of members have got behind because they want to be able to do a PSL and say yeah actually we are doing something about it we are actually sort yep. of supporting that now I want to go on to um Recruit for Good, which is something that I spotted on your LinkedIn that really intrigued me, um, which was which was this social impact initiative that you've been supporting since 2018. So tell me a little bit more about Recruit for, as in the number four, good. Yes, uh, I can talk about that one all day. So um, <laughs> I think five or six years ago, we um, went, went on a journey. We, we've always... Um, we supported children through the Christina Noble Foundation, so that's always nice. We we get the reports come through of you know sort of how these kids are, are developing. Um, when we've seen opportunities, we've we've tried to do something from a CSR perspective. Um, and this question came out of the business, which is, oh, I think we should be doing more CSR. But then there wasn't really anybody in the business who was saying, I want to drive that for the business. They yeah. were saying we want to look at the company and see the company doing more, whether it's because it's a good marketing thing or Yeah, or, or a lot whatever. of times it is, right? It's just a yeah, we can put something on our newsletter where sometimes people yeah. they're not actually really that passionate about it. And it bought into it. Um and um you know we do a beach cleanup at a weekend that someone would organize, but you know that's never going to happen again for another at least 12 months. Um, yeah. so these things were not were not sustainable. And so okay. I while I was thinking about it, I went to a presentation by a guy called John Wood. He's the founder of Room to Read. His first book is uh, Leaving Microsoft to Change the World, which is a which is a great read. And he was promoting his third book, I think it is, um, at the time, which is Purpose Incorporated, which is a, another great read. And uh, Purpose you. Incorporated is um, uh, about the future of organizations and how um, the purpose of the organization needs to be embedded in the organization. So as opposed to having CSR as a separate function, you look at it and say, um, what we do is also has a social impact. Um, and that was the aha moment for me. And I, I um, got to know John sort of quite well after that. And we, we did some training sessions with our clients as well. Um, so what oh, we looked well, at was... that's really okay. interesting. I'm going to look him up afterwards. Yes, you should. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's an interesting guy. We're going to mention him guy. on the show notes as well. I'll put his contact on the show notes. Great. Yeah. And put the you know, link maybe to, I mean, Purpose Incorporated, all, all profits go to um, to Room to Read, which is a great charity. Um, and um, so basically what we realized is, okay, recruitment is the lever. That's how we developed our, um, our purpose statement, which is using recruitment as a lever to improve lives. Um, and so therefore, anything related to recruitment is how we're going to try and impact the, uh, the community. So we did some pro bono search, we found it was, it was nice, but it was it was a little bit limited, you know, we couldn't really scale it up. Um, and that's when we had the idea of launching Recruit for Good. So Recruit for Good is a free job board. Um, 
supported by our website partner Volcanic um, and um, basically um, we promoted it to the not-for-profit community in Hong Kong and said look you can use this to recruit for free um, and then to candidates it's a place to go to identify jobs with purpose um, because there didn't seem to be a single place to do that. Um, for volunteering yes but not for permanent professional roles and some strategic volunteering board advisory those type of positions. So what types of roles then talk me through kind of what what what, what that looks all like. sorts all sorts of things on there so it can be um, anything from sort of like corporate functions so finance accounting etc yeah. within a within a charity yeah but the pr predominantly it's fundraising um you know that's a their big uh a big need for those type of roles in, yeah. in that space and program management um so the people that actually roll out the the programs as well as leadership roles so coo ceo um, executive director um and um, we we now have, I think as of today, there's 35 jobs on there or something, um, you know, so it's actually, um, and that's consistent now. You know, we get quite a flow of jobs that come in there. And uh, So who um, manages you know, it then? Is it just literally the volcano will manage it from an IT perspective, but do you just jump in and, you know, who's putting it on there? Who's kind of taking the, is there a one person that's kind of in the office that yep. manages I, this? My senior, my senior researcher, Paula, she um, uh, helped me on some of these searches and then has gradually taken a more active role. Um, and we also have a um, uh, a marketing communications manager, Stephanie, um, who uh, uh, you know supports that as well. And we've launched our own um, LinkedIn page for Recruit for Good now, which then amplifies oh. these jobs. Oh, and, and great. Them, oh, send me the out, link so. on that then, because that would be really interesting to put on the show notes for any yes. clients that are, or any candidates, clients that are in that area that they can use. That's and awesome. We, we, happy to do that. And we're definitely seeing sort of a, a trend towards people, I think partly because of, um, you know, a bit of a, the zeitgeist of, because of the pandemic and various other things, people have started to question, um, you know, their purpose, right. And their future. Yes, and maybe they yes, want, they, they want to, yes, to sort of, um, to, to bring a bit more back to the community. So, um, we are seeing more people coming from corporate and saying, what does it mean to work for an NGO? And, you know, uh, we've got, you know, giving them some guidance sometimes, it's not the right timing for them based on the numbers, but um, you know, what, what, what can I earn in a, in a not-for-profit? What type of role would suit me? And, is it and, a certain uh, demographic? Like, or is it a certain age group, for instance? I, I sort of can't imagine youngsters necessarily just want to put, you know, I don't know. I'm keen to kind of... You'd be surprised, actually. Yeah, yeah, you'd be surprised. I think that there's been a big change. Um, so, you know, my generation, I never asked that question, right? When I was interviewing um, with with companies, I had no clue about CSR and, and those type of issues. And it's only later in my life that that's become um, more important. I yeah. think one of the reasons that John um, wrote Purpose Incorporated was that um, it's also about hiring people in the future is that the younger generation asked this question much earlier. Yeah, um, actually, as you're to, right. You're right. The, the whole purpose you know, thing. Yeah. yeah. So I see sort of two groups. I see those people that do it earlier in their career um, and think I'll do a few years in not-for-profit and then I'll, I'll go make some money yeah. or they do it earlier and they make it a career for themselves or it usually comes then at the back end. So it's, you know, in, into your 40s, 50s and onwards where, um, okay, maybe financially I'm secure now yes. and then I want to give back. So yeah. um, in the middle, less, but um, certainly on, on on those two ends, that's really, where we see that. Really, really interesting. And so is that just, is is that one, is that, how does the employees get behind that? Um, I think that uh, they, they can choose how they get behind it, right? So one of the things that I say to people in, um, uh, in our roundups and for example when we've made so we do a 50% discount as well if um, a not-for-profit wants to run a search um, because when we launched that we still had some people come to us and say look we need help we have a CEO hire we want this done at arm's length we need someone to work with the board can you help and it didn't feel right to be charging 100% fees so we said okay we'll, we'll build a platform which is um, we'll give a 50% discount but still offer the full search uh, package to these to these uh, organizations so we um, get to announce these successes hey we just placed the CEO with um, or Habitat for Humanity we did a couple of years ago we oh, did um, wow. Hong Kong Anti-Cancer Society we did the, the CEO for them we're working on Feeding Hong Kong is a great local charity where we're doing a CEO a founder transition to a, to a new CEO um, and we get to stand up or I get to stand up at a, a Friday roundup and say thank you to everybody because um, you may not have actually actively done anything but every hour you've worked and every dollar that you've made has helped us as a business yeah. be able to um, to, to run this initiative and have this impact. That's really um, amazing. I think that is really, really amazing. I, th I wish all recruitment firms could do something like that. I think that just sounds so incredible. There was something I was going to ask then. Now I've forgotten. Um, no, it's completely gone. It was something about purpose, but then it's completely gone. Um, oh, that was it. Your website. 
is the recruit for good as a tab on your website? Uh, you go to the social impact page oh, okay. Um, and, okay. or social purpose page, and then you can link through to it from, right. from there. Right, okay, and, okay. And, and vice versa. Yeah. When we first launched it, we launched it as a standalone with the idea that maybe we'd get some other recruitment companies behind it and turn it into an industry initiative. So I didn't really want it as a connected group branded thing, but I got you know, a bit of weak, weak response. I think I got a lot of early, oh, that sounds like a great idea, but I didn't get a lot of commitment beyond that. Um, yeah, so we turned it's a lot it, of work. We, it's a lot of work from your side. It, you know, you've yes. got to have a bit of a calling and there's got to be a real passion on, on someone's side. And so people can be quite quick to say yes, but actually when it comes to putting time aside to it. People, then, get, people get busy, right? And I yeah. understand that. So, um, but, but now it's fully integrated for us. So, you know, it really works. And then um, I sit on the board of the Ferry Employment Agency, um, which is part of the Ferry Employment Foundation. Um, the agency in Hong Kong is a domestic worker agency um, where there are a lot of issues in that in that sector of illegal fees and and uh, basically modern day slavery uh, being created by you know, these systemic problems. So the foundation was set up to solve that. The agency is a um, is a not for profit agency, but proving that it can be commercially viable to recruit helpers without the illegal fees. Um, so I was able to sit on the board of an organization, which is basically a recruitment agency um, and yeah. not not just give them advice, but learn because they were growing up in a different time with with new technologies yeah. and, you know, young, passionate people. It's been, you know, it's been a really good uh, exercise. Wow, to, that's to, to really, really interesting. We are actually getting near to the end. We're now getting into the rapid fire round. Um, okay. So let's just kick those off. What was the last podcast or book that you listened or read that you'd recommend to, lin- uh, to li- listeners? Ugh, can't talk. Uh, what would I recommend? Um, I've I've listened to I not so much podcasts uh, from time to time when they're recommended. I'll definitely listen to to this one. Um, <laughs> listen to uh, this one. <laughs> but I I listen to uh, I listen to books all the time because I have a, a couple of hours of um, uh, driving and, and commuting time. Yeah, right. so I'm a, I'm an audible um, uh, geek really. Um, I think if I was going to recommend something, um, I'll recommend Purpose Incorporated by, okay. by John Wood. I'm um, going to look at that. I'm uh, get that. I think you need to read that one. I'm not sure that's on Audible, um, but then, but it's on Kindle. Um, okay. And uh, Give and Take uh, by Adam Grant um, I, is a great book because it, it reinforced my um, natural sense that giving um, leads to success, um, even though you might be told that you're too nice um uh, over over time um actually there's this positive feedback loop which so it's uh, like the you know, servant is... leadership in a way isn't it just yes, in terms absolutely. of how you serve others yeah well yeah. that's really interesting i'm going to look at that one as well i'm going to put all these on the show notes because i think it's really good for people to know how to get those um what one piece of advice would you give to an aspiring leader um i think there's uh, two two pieces which I think are important, and one which is talked about a lot, which is authenticity. I think that um, you need to um, determine who you are and what type of leader that you want to be, and then identify an environment that that suits that. Um, some people are, you know, much more um, much more commercial um, and and financially driven, and that's okay. But you just need to find an environment that um, will be supportive of that um, and will enable you to build that type of culture around you. Um, and equally, you know, there are environments that are much more mindful of um, uh, the sort of, you know, the individual and, and, uh, mm. and being um, empathetic with, uh, with the needs of individuals and, um, you, you know, f- find yourself a platform that, that will align. Mm. So um, that authenticity will shine through. If you're trying to be somebody that you're not because you think that's what a leader looks like, yeah. it's exhausting, right? Yeah, and, and also not, I uh, just know, I think one step before that then to even know what it is, what what who are you, right? In terms yes. of that self-awareness, in terms of how you go about identifying that. I mean, we, there's lots of tools out there now, thankfully, but I yeah. think the first step is is really knowing who you are so that you can be yourself, right? Yeah. I think that's probably I think that's probably the biggest um hurdle for a lot of people because they don't always put that emphasis on that first as we'll try and sort of find along the way what is a non-negotiable for you in terms of how you live your life non-negotiable um i think that um uh being able to give um back to others is a non-negotiable for me um so um if i have to make choices which are based on um being commercially you know um successful and being profitable um, versus um, 
uh, compromising other people's um, lives or situations, then um, I, I will always, you know, root for the person rather than the um, the dollar. Um, I think as I've got older, people say you can become more conservative as you get older, but I become much more of a, um, a lefty the, the older I get. Um, and I'm interested in um, things like the, the cooperative movement, the B Corp movement. And I think that they're very aligned to how recruitment could run in the future. Um, so um, for me, it's it's really about focusing on the 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 lives of the individuals that, that surround me um, and making sure that everything I do is about raising them up because ultimately from that the financial results will come yeah. I think if you make financial decisions short term then uh, then it will be a, a short-term gain not a long-term gain great thank you so much for your time I absolutely delighted having you on the show I didn't know too much about you before and now I just I feel like I I know you very well and I and I'm really excited to to hear how you guys all get on, and especially when you're moving new office um, and growing even more. So thank you again for your time. Really appreciated it. Andrew, thanks very much. Really, uh, really enjoyed being here today. Thank you. So thanks. Um, if you'd like to get in contact with Matthew at Connected Group, then please check out the notes on this episode where his contact details will be f- found and details of anyone else mentioned on the show. We had quite a lot of books being mentioned there, so we will also add those onto the show notes. If you're looking to donate to any of the charities under Connected Group Social Initiative or explore how Recruit for Good can support a charity that you're involved with, then please look at the show notes for details. If you're, look, if you're a recruitment firm looking to empower your female recruiters, um, then please reach out to discuss membership with Weira, the newly set up group under the career establishment. Um, thanks for listening and be kind to one another. You have been listening to Talent Talk Asia podcast by The Career Establishment. To learn more about The Career Establishment, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at www.thecareerestablishment.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.